We're in Mark chapter 4 this morning. Mark chapter 4. They say that a watched pot never boils. And after this weekend, I'm convinced that a watched computer never updates. This weekend, I had to do some major updates to my computer. And when the computer came up and estimated that the time to completion was more than one day, I was a little bit awestruck and a little bit discouraged. And thankfully, I was able to do what was necessary around it while the, the computer prepared itself in the background to do its updates. But all of the of my best intentions and the internet searches and everything else in the world wasn't going to stop this thing from doing what it needed to do. And so again and again, as I returned to that counter and it was inching itself along, telling me the progress bar a little bit at a time, I realized that no matter how many times I checked it, no matter what, how much effort I put into finding a way to circumnavigate what was going on, the computer was going to do what the computer was going to do in the time that it was going to take to do it, and there was nothing that I could do about it. So much of our lives, we prove that we are impatient and obstinate people. Impatient and obstinate creatures, because patience isn't something that comes naturally to human beings. We want what we want, and we wanted it five minutes ago. When we see that something doesn't work, we don't take the time to fix it. We just throw it out and get something new. It's how they're designing things anyway. It's cheaper to just go buy a new television. It's cheaper to go buy a new lawnmower than it is to try to fix the thing. When things aren't going our way or something doesn't come naturally, we just find it easier to quit and go find something that comes a little bit more easily. It comes a little bit more natural. And when the world isn't functioning the way that we expect the world to function or isn't working according to our plan, we do our best to circumnavigate the system or impose our our will upon the world by whatever means are at our disposal. And that's not just true of the world that we live in or the possessions that we own. Unfortunately, we bring that impatience and that obstinance into our spiritual lives and our walk with the Lord as well. And we're impatient with spiritual matters in our lives. We're impatient and we're obstinate with the Lord and with his plans and with his promises and ultimately with his kingdom. But what God wants us to know and calls us to is something even greater than patience. He calls us to trust. Because where trust is, patience is easy. And so in the verses that we're studying this morning, Jesus calls us to trust in the kingdom, to trust in the Lord, to trust in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And to live out that trust in faithful obedience. Look with me, if you will, in Mark chapter 4, beginning in verse 1. Mark writes, And Jesus began to teach beside the sea. And a very large crowd gathered about him so that he got into a boat and sat in it on the sea. And the whole crowd was beside the sea on the land. And he was teaching them many things in parables. And in his teaching, he said to them, listen, behold, a sower went out to sow. And as he sowed, some seed fell along the path and the birds came and devoured it. Other seed fell on rocky ground where it did not have much soil. And immediately it sprang up since it had no depth of soil. And when the sun rose, it was scorched. And since it had no root, it withered away. Other seed fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no grain. 
And other seeds fell into good soil and produced grain, growing up and increasing and yielding thirtyfold and sixtyfold and a hundredfold. And he said, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. And when he was alone, those around him with the twelve asked him about the parables. He said to them, to you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God. But for those outside, everything is in parables so that, quote, they may indeed see, but not perceive and may indeed hear, but not understand, lest they should turn and be forgiven. And he said to them, do you not understand this parable? How then will you understand all the parables? The sower sows the word, and these are the ones along the path where the word is sown. When they hear, Satan immediately comes and takes away the word that is sown in them. And these are the ones sown on rocky ground. The ones who, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with joy. And they have no root in themselves, but endure for a while. Then when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately they fall away. And others are the ones sown among thorns. They are those who hear the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires of other things enter in and choke the word and it proves unfruitful. But those that are that were sown on the good soil are the ones who hear the word and accept it and bear fruit thirtyfold and sixtyfold and a hundredfold. And he said to them, is a lamp brought in to be brought under a put under a basket or under a bed and not on a stand? For nothing is hidden except to be made manifest, nor is anything secret except to come to light. If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. And he said to them, pay attention to what you hear. With the measure you use, it will be measured to you, and still more will be added to you. For to the one who has, more will be given, and from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. And he said, the kingdom of God is as if a man should scatter seed on the ground. He sleeps and rises night and day and the seed sprouts and grows. He knows not how the earth produces by itself. First, the blade, then the ear, then the full grain in the ear. But when the grain is ripe at once, he puts in the sickle because the harvest has come. And he said, with what can we compare the kingdom of God or what parable shall we use for it? It is like a grain of mustard seed, which when sown on the ground is the smallest of all the seeds on earth. Yet when it is sown, it grows up and becomes larger than all the garden plants and puts out large branches so that the birds of the air can make nests in its shade. With many such parables, he spoke the word to them as they were able to hear it. He did not speak to them without a parable, but privately to his own disciples, he explained everything. Would you pray with me? Father, as we come now into your presence and into in front of your word, Holy Spirit, I pray that you would impress upon us your truth, your grace, your mercy, that you would show us how it is that you expect us to respond to this passage of Scripture, how we are to live out our faith in the gospel of Jesus Christ, how we are to hear the word and accept the word and bear fruit in our lives for you and for your glory. It's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen. It's at this passage of Scripture that Mark introduces us into with or introduces us to the parabolic ministry of Jesus Christ. And this aspect of Jesus's ministry can easily become a stumbling block to us if we don't take some time to make sure that we understand the purpose of the parables that Jesus used and the purpose of Jesus's parabolic ministry. Mark shares with us in this passage of Scripture, both in verses 10 and 11, and then at the end in conclusion, verses 33 and 34, 
that it was the practice of Jesus to speak exclusively in parables when he was in public. But when he came into a private meeting with his disciples, that is where he would offer explanation. The purpose of those parables, as Jesus is teaching, the parables are meant to pull back the veil or, or open the eyes and expose spiritual realities in people's hearts and in the lives and in the circumstance in which Jesus is currently ministering. And Jesus' parables are not limited only to Jesus' stories that he tells. As we'll see moving on in the rest of the Gospel of Mark, even what Jesus does is oftentimes an enacted parable as he is acting in such a way that he is exposing spiritual realities. He hints at that here when he says that to you has been given the secret of the kingdom, but for those outside, everything is in parables. He doesn't say everything is taught in parables. Everything comes to them in parables. And the purpose of the parable, as we've said, is to expose spiritual truth around us. But what we find in this passage is that Mark reveals and Jesus reveals that the parables had a double-edged sword, per, or, or, if you will. They acted as a double-edged sword. Because on the one hand, we see that the parables are inviting and are open as they expose this spiritual reality and theological truths through very ordinary illustrations and very ordinary activities. And on the other hand, they're confusing and they require explanation. And they require effort in order to understand them. And by preaching through these illustrations and word pictures and engaging in this parabolic ministry, Jesus took up and fulfilled the prophetic mantle of Isaiah and all of the Old Testament prophets. And that's why Jesus quotes Isaiah right here in chapter 4, verse 12, when he says that his ministry acts in such a way by preaching in these, these parables that they blind the spiritually hard-hearted, and deafen the spiritually hard-hearted. But on the other hand, the open-hearted find welcome and warmth as they draw into Jesus Christ to better understand. I'm a bit of a nerd. You can ask my wife. She will tell you very quickly, honestly, openly, with zero hesitation. I'm very much a bit of a nerd. And there are a lot of things that I watch and a lot of things that I read and a lot of activities that I'm interested in that she doesn't give a, a lick about. And I'm constantly wanting to share with her the most recent show that I watched or trailer that I've seen of a movie that's coming up or a book that I have read and she doesn't care. But then when I find someone who shares that common interest and I even mention a reference to some off-the-wall sci-fi book or or movie or something else and we end up in nerd heaven and we will talk forever about these ridiculous things that's the same way that the parabolic ministry of jesus works that at the one hand the people who couldn't care less immediately just say that doesn't make any sense and they just walk away but those whose hearts are are softened by the the presence and the power of the holy spirit they don't draw away but instead they come nearer so that they can understand more. What we see in this passage of Scripture is that the disciples don't get some supernaturally imposed understanding of this parable. Jesus speaks the parable to the crowds, and then later on his disciples come up and go, hey, can you explain that to us? It didn't make any sense. 
You see, the difference is not some supernatural understanding of God's word. Instead, it's an insistence on getting nearer to the one who told the story in the first place. The only thing that distinguishes the disciples from the crowd is the fact that the disciples come to Jesus and say and ask, can you explain this to us? And that is the purpose of the parables. Those that don't care, whose hearts are hardened, will immediately just say, I'm not going to invest my time or waste my time with that. But those whose hearts are softened and ready are the ones who draw deeper for deeper understanding. See, Jesus' parabolic ministry isn't to keep those that are outside, outside. Instead, he is exposing the truth. And that's what he talks about when he uses this example of the parable of the lamp that's put on a lampstand. Jesus' ministry isn't meant to hide the nature of the kingdom. Instead, it is putting the nature of the kingdom on display. The difference is those who draw near and receive what little they get and dig with that and are faithful with it and then draw nearer to get more. A lot of times when we think about our Christian life and especially responding into in obedience, we have this understanding or this image in our minds that our response to the gospel is like making some big life altering decision where we want to make our list of pros and cons. And once we've got all of the relevant pieces of information in front of us and the picture is complete, then we'll make the decision and we'll make the leap. Good luck with that when it comes to God. Because God never promises you complete understanding. Instead, God dumps the puzzle out in front of you and all of the pieces are there and out of order. Or maybe God only gives you a few pieces of the puzzle at a time and it makes no sense. But you can either choose to just leave it scattered out there and say, I'm not messing with that. Or we can faithfully take the puzzle pieces and we can put one here and here and we begin to find an overtime as we're faithful with the little bit that God has given to us. God gives us a little bit more and a little bit more and a little bit more until eventually the entire puzzle is starting to come together. And we may not even have the whole picture. We have a little bit here and a little bit there, but we're beginning to see how things come easier and faster and the more and the more faithful you are with the little bit that you have. And that's what Jesus means when he uses this other parable about the one that the measure that you use is how it's going to be measured back to you. Those who hear that little bit and go, I don't quite understand it, but I want a little bit more and take the step forward in faith. Jesus gives them a little bit more and they move a little bit more and a little bit more and a little bit more and a little bit more until God fills them full. But the ones who hear it and go, I don't know that I like that. That's just a little bit too difficult. I want something easy. It doesn't mean that you sit in spiritual neutral. It's a rejection away. And away. And away. So my question to you, as we're talking about the purpose of the parables, is what are you doing with what God has given you? God said what you, how your faithfulness with what has already been given to you determines what you get moving forward. So have you been faithful with the little that God has given you, the little understanding that he has given to you so that you might receive more? That's faith. When we prove faithful with that little that God has given to us and the measure that we use comes back to us again and again. And that's the purpose of the parables. That's the purpose of Jesus's parabolic ministry. It exposes our hearts. It invites us in, but it 
tells us that this journey is not easy. Becoming a disciple of Christ is not easy. And so immediately from the beginning, there's a resistance that we have to push through as we exercise faith. And as Jesus teaches in these parables, he shows us, gives us some insight into the nature of the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God and the proclamation of the gospel of the kingdom is the content of Jesus' preaching ministry. We were introduced to that all the way back in Mark chapter 1. That there is the, the preaching ministry of Jesus is about the gospel. And here, as Jesus uses some common agricultural pictures, he explains to us, gives us some insight into the nature of the gospel in three agricultural life cycles. Sowing, growing, and then harvesting, reaping. And so the first thing that we see, the first stage of the kingdom, the sowing stage is where we learn that the kingdom of God expands through the spreading of the gospel. The kingdom of God expands through the, the spreading of the gospel. The primary parable that Jesus tells in this passage of scripture is an extremely popular parable and a teaching ministry and the teaching of Jesus Christ. It's the parable of the sower and the four soils. And Mark tells us, or Jesus tells us, in Mark chapter 4, verse 13, that it, though it's not the first parable that we have been introduced to, it is the foundation of understanding the rest of the parabolic ministries. As Jesus says, if you don't get this one, how are you going to get any of the rest of them? And so in this parable, there's three primary elements. The sower, the seed, and the soil. And as we are introduced, as Jesus starts off in this parable, the first person that, we're, that we meet is the sower. And the sower there, as Jesus interprets it for us, is the one who's faithfully spreading the word of God. He's faithfully sowing seed, and that seed, Jesus tells us, is the word of God. The word that Jesus has come to preach is the gospel. So as we talk about the word of God, it's not just vague theological doctrinal truths that we are, that we are introduced here that are being sown. Instead, it is the faithful proclamation of the content of the gospel, the good news of the kingdom of God that we are seeing sown into the world. And it's clear in this context that Jesus wants to see us as, see him, wants us to see him as the primary sower, as the prototype sower. Jesus is the sower who first came and started spreading the gospel. And we are to pattern our lives after him. If we are in Christ, sons and daughters of God, we have been saved. All of those different phrases mean the same thing. If we are Christians, then we should be what that word means, little Christs. And so the sower here gives us the example that we are to follow. And what we see is that the sower is sowing seed generously and indiscriminately. He's not hedging his bets by focusing exclusively on the good soil, but instead he is casting the seed on absolutely every surface that is available to him. Most of us in our own ingenuity and in our own strength and in our own creativity and in our own power, what we would immediately do is why waste the seed throwing it on the street where it's going to get stepped on? And where birds are going to take it? Why waste seed in rocky soil? Why waste seed among the thorns? Instead, we would focus all of our intention on only the soil that we deem worthy and ready for the seed. But that's not what Jesus did. That's not what the sower does here, nor is that what Jesus did in his ministry. He didn't go to the religiously educated 
or the intellectual elite or the politically powerful or the wealthy or anyone else. Jesus went anywhere and everywhere that the door was open. On the streets and in the synagogues and in people's houses. And even here we see in the wild as he's floating on the Sea of Galilee, talking and preaching to anyone and everyone. He preached to the religious elites in the synagogue. He preached to the religious outcasts as he was in the houses of sinners and tax collectors. We see him socializing with prostitutes and all kinds of social rabble in the world. Because for Jesus, he was sowing the seed generously anywhere and everywhere that the seed would land. That's where Jesus cast it. And that is our responsibility as well. To stop hedging our bets and stop playing it safe and spending our time going, you know what? I'm only going to focus on these people because I deem them worthy and these people I'm just going to deal with when I have to. And mostly the people that we deem worthy are the people that are most like us and make us the most comfortable. Jesus calls us to something better than that, something greater to that as we faithfully spread the gospel of Jesus Christ anywhere and everywhere. A seed that's not sown is a seed that cannot grow. And so we have to be faithful to proclaim the gospel. The way that we sow the seed is preaching the gospel. The dominant word in this passage of Scripture is hear. Listen. Those who have ears to hear, hear this. Pay attention to what you hear. And that echoes what Paul says later on, that how can someone be saved unless someone goes and preaches the gospel? It's the word of God preached that is the sowing of the gospel. And so we are called to go into our lives and speak the message of the gospel. But we have to go into the world understanding that as we spread the seed and cast it into the world, it's going to be received in many different ways. And that's where we're introduced to the four soils. The soils represent the condition of human hearts. On the one hand, there are the hard-hearted, like the Pharisees, who immediately reject absolutely and completely the message of Jesus Christ. They want nothing to do with it. And so the seed of the gospel is immediately plucked away and washed away and stolen from their lives. On the other hand, there is the rocky soil, much like the crowds who show up because they hear about this incredible man who can do these incredible feats and they show up to get benefits from being near him. And then when life gets difficult and there's that little bit of pushback through a parable that's difficult to understand or a step of obedience that requires them to forsake their family or to get rid of all of their wealth and anything that they love Jesus, love more than Jesus, they immediately say, I don't want anything to do with that. Then they pull back and they wither. Then there are those that are sown among the thorns. Those like the family of Jesus Christ who comes near to him and draws near to him out of concern, thinking that they can control things because in their understanding, this life and this world, his health, his condition, his physical safety is the most important thing. And all of those are good things. But when good things are elevated to the point of primary things, first things, that's when they become idols. And so when our mind is concerned with earthly pleasures and earthly conditions instead of the heavenly condition, that is when the thorns come in and choke us out and there is no spiritual fruit. But then there are those that are like the disciples who heard, who accepted it, and then through whom there was fruit. And so my challenge to you this morning is to take a really honest look at your heart and your life. 
and ask in the spectrum of these soils from hard hearted to softened, where am I? Ask yourself real honest questions. Do I balk and back up from things in the Bible and in my life that are difficult? Do I take a stand on biblical truth and principles no matter what it's going to cost me? Or do I let my fear of what other people are going to say about me hold me back? Am I more concerned about the things in this world or God's kingdom? Am I faithfully sowing seed at all? And we'll talk about, are you yielding any fruit in a minute? The soil is what it is. But praise the Lord, the hearts of men and women, your heart and my heart isn't like this soil that can't be changed. Sure, there's, there's tilling and, and plowing that can be done to soils, but we don't see this in Jesus' ministry. The soils are what the soils are. But your heart and my heart can be softened, can be prepared, can be drawn and changed and transformed by the power of the Holy Spirit. When the Spirit comes in and gives us new life, spiritual rebirth, because the Bible tells us that apart from Jesus Christ, we are all dead in our trespasses and our sins. But by the power of the Holy Spirit, life can be planted inside of us by the seed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's what the word is. So from that seed, we learn that the kingdom of God grows by its own power. It grows by, it expands by spreading the gospel. But the, the kingdom itself grows by a power that is inherent to it. Its own power. The soil here is not where the life is found. Your heart and my heart, that's the soil. Where is the life? The life is inside of the seed. The seed is what has the life. The seed is what grows. The seed is what has that power. And the Bible, as I said, is clear that your life and my life, apart from Jesus Christ, is that hard-hearted, stony heart, like the hard soil that's on the road. But by the power of the gospel and the power of the Spirit to birth us again, our heart can be transformed into soil that is ripe. And is ready when we come to the Lord as those who are poor and who are needy and cry out to God that says, God, wherever my heart is hard, whatever stones and rocks are there and that are in your way, whatever thorns are in in my life that are keeping me from being fruitful for you. I pray that you as the sower, the farmer would get rid of it. Plow up my heart. That's what David cried out and cried for when he said, search me, O God, and know me. Try me and see if there be any wicked way in me. I will confess openly what I know that I have done, but I pray that you would keep me back from hidden faults and failures. And so we can come to the Lord and we can trust in the power that is inside that seed that is life. And so often, though, In our impatience, we want to help the seed of the gospel along a little bit. Because we have this functional forgetting, this functional amnesia of the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so we rely on intellectual arguments. And we rely rely on social power and, and political power. And we rely on social pressure. And we rely on, heaven forbid, emotional manipulation. That was the whole gist of the implementation of the invitation is to provide a place to response 
to respond to the gospel, which is crucial. But then all of this other stuff started creeping into the invitation that if we play just the right music and we dim the lights just the right way, we can make people more emotionally uh, responsive to what we've heard. Or I've seen the preachers and heard the preachers who have proclaimed the gospel and said, now everybody bow your head and everybody close your eyes. And if you would like to receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, I invite you to raise your hand right now. And they're in a single hand in the room and that liar, stand, that, that liar stands up there and says, I see you, brother. I see a sister because he's trying to manipulate people into making a decision. Seen it happen. And that is a functional lack of belief in the power of the gospel alone. You add something to the gospel, you dilute it. The gospel is powerful enough to bring life. It is life, spiritual life. What we have to do is just be faithful to preach it, faithful to proclaim it, faithful to believe it and take it into our hearts, your heart and my heart, each and every day. Come back to the gospel of Jesus Christ and trust the gospel to do what the gospel can do, which is grow. But the gospel doesn't grow in the way that you and I want it to so many times. And that's the purpose of this parable of the one who goes out and sows the seed. He doesn't wake up the next morning and have a harvest ready to go. He wakes up the next morning and there's nothing. And he wakes up the next morning and there's nothing. And again and again until finally all of a sudden bursting through the ground is this little bitty tiny green thing. And that little bitty tiny green thing grows and grows and grows. And in its time and in its season is when it bears fruit. And the harvest comes. But so often we are impatient. We're impatient with one another. We don't understand the progressive nature of the kingdom of God. We don't understand that puzzle illustration that just because we have been called into the kingdom of God and we've responded in faith, you don't get a download from heaven of all of the information that you need overnight. You don't confess Jesus Christ and get baptized and come out of the water spitting theology like John Calvin or Jonathan Edwards or anybody else. Instead, it's progressive in time. And in faithful obedience, as you prove faithful in those little things. We have to be patient with ourselves and with, with one another. We're not in charge of the kingdom's growth in our world or in our lives. We are called to faithfully spread the seed. Faithfully share the gospel. And let the gospel do what only it can, which is provide life. The disciples didn't get it all at once. It took time. We're going to continue to study this gospel and we're going to find them arguing over power. We're going to find them confronting Jesus and telling them that he doesn't know what he's talking about. We're going to find them betraying him in the end. But Jesus was faithful. No matter their lack of understanding, Jesus was faithful to love them and to disciple them and to call them and to bring them back into his life and into his fold. So the kingdom grows according to its own power. The kingdom also, we see, yields fruit according to its nature. I said we met the sower, we met the seed, we met the soil. And Jesus uses these ideas of the sowing and the growing and then finally the reaping. The harvest time. We see harvest multiple times in this passage of Scripture. 
One day there is a harvest that is going to come when God in his time and in his power and in his wisdom sees that the harvest has come, that the time is complete. Then he will come into the world and he will make all things right. And Jesus will return and Jesus will come to reap the harvest. The harvest that Jesus is looking for, the harvest that he will find is a harvest that is in keeping with the nature of the seed that was sown. We find here that the grain seeds in the, the early parable, the grain seeds that are sown grow up and they yield 30 fold and 60 fold and 100 fold of more grain. The mustard seed that is planted grows into this great bush that benefits the world around it, that provides shade and shelter for the birds. But each one grows and yields according to its nature. And Jesus says this repeatedly throughout the Gospels and in his ministry. That you will know someone, you will know a tree by its fruit. And you'll know a person by their fruit. He says, thorns don't grow on orange trees. You know that it's a bramble bush because there are thorns on it. You know that there's an, it's an orange tree because there are oranges on it. And so, in your life and in my life, the fruit that is overflowing out of our lives will tell us whether we are children of God, and in the kingdom of God, or still hard-hearted and isolated and alienated and in the kingdom of Satan. We need to be patient with each other. Give each other room to grow. But at the same time, we've got to be diligent to hold one another accountable. Because if you've been a Christian for 20 and 30 years, and you can't identify one person that you've led to faith in Jesus Christ and discipled them, you got a problem. Because you've got no fruit. None. I told you you need to do a hard heart check. I had to do a real hard heart check when I studied this passage of Scripture. And I had to ask myself, where's the fruit in my life? If this is sowing the gospel, when was the last time that I had the honor and the privilege of seeing someone come to faith in Jesus Christ and discipling that person. Now again, as I prayed through that and I confessed to the Lord that I have not been diligent in faithfully sowing the seed anywhere and everywhere that I can, God reminded me that there are several people in my life that I have not had the privilege right now of seeing led to the Lord, but I am faithfully taking advantage of every opportunity that I've got to faithfully preach the gospel. I'm faithfully sowing the seeds. God brings the harvest. God brings the growth. But at the same time, we need to be constantly doing a checkup on our hearts to ask ourselves, where is the fruit? Where is the love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control? In my life, where is the evidence that I am walking with Jesus Christ? If there is no evidence in your life, you need to fall on your faces before a holy and a righteous God, confessing it and repenting of it and asking him to churn up the soil in your heart and bear fruit. And it needs to happen today. Not later, not once I get the bigger picture. Be faithful now. Repent. Repentance isn't just the way into the Christian life. It is the way of the Christian life. Every single time a Christian hears of a sin in their life, a lack of obedience to Jesus Christ in their life, they are faithful to turn from it 
Call it what it is in confession and turn from it and follow Jesus Christ. Lack of repentance. Refusal to do that. That is a sign of unbelief and zero salvation. What will you do with this challenge today? Will you harden your heart? and Say, ah, he's just a preacher. That's what he's supposed to be saying. Or will you faithfully, like we said last week, put yourself in front of God as David did. I am poor and I am needy and I need for you to do what I can't do, which is bring forth fruit in my life. Show me what my next step is. What heavenly good is your earthly life? Where's your focus? Where's your obedience? Where's your fruit? I'd encourage you to take a moment, bow your heads, close your eyes, and ask the Lord, God, where is the fruit of my life and relationship with you? Where there is none, cry out to him for forgiveness. Beg him to change you from the inside out and to show you the way forward. Take a moment in prayer and I'll come back and close this in a moment.